try to put out a new theme song for the Dunker Punks podcast every so often, and this episode introduces another little ditty. My goal has been to incorporate punk music into these songs, and so far we've had pop punk, folk punk, post-hardcore, emo, and now oi. So without further ado... the carers for our neighbors we are servants in our labor we are counting well the cost of living for the Hey, Dunker Punks, welcome to a new season of the Dunker Punks podcast. I'm your host for today, Jacob Kraus, and super excited to be kicking off a season that's jam-packed with quality, diverse content with this episode that displays the Church of the Brethren's Anabaptist Peace Church roots alive and well in our church today. The Office of Peace Building and Policy advocates for these values in Washington, D.C., on Capitol Hill and speaks the truth of peace in a tumultuous political realm. I'd like to welcome back Galen Fitzke from the OPP and his special guests to talk through some of the powerful work going on in the Church of the Brethren on multiple levels to influence how our country resolves international conflict. Take it away, Galen. Hey, everybody. I'm happy to be with you all again for what is now my second appearance on the Dunker Punks podcast. I've been invited back on to speak from my perspective as the current BVSer at the Church of the Brethren Office of Peacebuilding and Policy, which I explained a bit about in my last episode. Just to briefly recap what it is that I do, I would say that I strive to be the voice and hands of the Church of the Brethren in Washington, D.C. In addition to playing plenty of Ultimate Frisbee on the weekends, I write articles about current events, attend meetings with other faith-based advocates, post on social media, and coordinate with other brethren staff and members to produce statements and take action. In the end, the goal is to influence change in U.S. policy that makes the world a more peaceful and just place. The proposed changes that we advocate for originate from Church of the Brethren annual conference statements, and they range widely from reducing excessive military spending to ensuring a safe and efficient immigration system. Actually affecting change on any one of these issues, however, is difficult, and that's why we need help from people like you in the Dunker Punk community. To the extent that you're able, 
I encourage each of you to pay attention to what's going on in the world around you and to be involved in the political process in some capacity. Now, with that said, I know that reading the news and tracking US and global politics is probably not your day job like it is for me. And that's why I've decided today to catch you up to speed on one important political issue in the news right now. But as I do, I'll be trying to stay away from the partisan bickering and grandstanding that often defines US politics and just really get to the heart of the issue as understood by the broader faith community and the Church of the Brother. The issue that I'd like to talk about is United States policy in Afghanistan over the past 20 years, leading up to and including the present day. We'll do a, a bit of a historical review of the Afghanistan war and the US involvement in the Middle East, assess the effects and results of that strategy, and then reflect on the current state of affairs in Afghanistan, which is really a dire humanitarian crisis happening right before our eyes. I hope it will be interesting to track what the Church of the Brethren has said throughout this timeline and report about what we're doing now to help resettle Afghan evacuees and advocate for those who remain in Afghanistan. So let's start by traveling back in time to about 20 years ago, which will take us to 2001. Most dunker punks of roughly high school age or older at the time likely remember where they were on September 11th, 2001, when the tragic terror attacks on the World Trade Center in New York City occurred. On that fateful day, members of the terrorist group Al-Qaeda hijacked multiple planes and flew them into the Twin Towers in the Pentagon intending to strike other targets as well. Nearly 3,000 people were killed in the attacks. In the immediate aftermath, many Americans understandably responded with shock and anger, uniting to demand a response. Soon after the attacks, President George W. Bush declared the global war on terror, and Congress passed the 2001 Authorization for Use of Military Force Resolution, giving him the power to use military force against those groups involved. As mentioned, this primarily included Al-Qaeda and the leader of the group, Osama bin Laden. Although both he and most of the terrorist hijackers were Saudi Arabian by nationality, bin Laden eventually found refuge in Afghanistan, which was ruled by the Taliban and refused to give in to U.S. demands. According to a 2011 issue of the academic journal Social Education, this was in part due to shared religious beliefs, weak political influence, and a resistance to outside governments since Afghanistan had been invaded by the Soviet Union in the late 1900s and other nations before that. Either way, on October 7th, the U.S. officially, officially launched military operations in Afghanistan with the stated objective of militarily defeating terrorism, terrorist leaders, and states harboring terrorists. Although there is much more that could be said, I think that gives us enough historical background to pause and consider the brethren response to this decision. Soon following the initiation of military action by the US, the Church of the Brethren General Board released a statement 
addressing a few topics of concern. First, they offered prayer and encouraged material support for the families and friends of 9-11 victims, naming the shock and horror of violence that the U.S. had witnessed the month before. Then they expressed a desire to see the perpetrators of the attacks held accountable within the bounds of applicable law and without the loss of additional lives. Violent retaliation, they reasoned, not adequately address the root causes of terrorism and the hatred harbored against the United States. More on that later. To quote directly from the statement, the Church of the Brethren also wrote, quote, we call for the immediate cessation of military action against the, na the nation of Afghanistan. We are deeply concerned that these strikes will cause further death and destruction and will exacerbate the problems confronting those working to feed and care for millions of suffering Afghan people. We also urge the U.S. government to refrain from similar military strikes against other nations, end quote. Interspersed within these policy proposals are the verses, are verses such as Romans 12, 17 through 19, which reads, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Overall, this statement is emblematic of the Church of the Brethren's historically pacifist, anti-war, and nonviolent history speaking into the situation in 2001. We, as a matter of fact, have statements that go back much further than that, denouncing the use of war and violence in any and all situations. Unfortunately, as we know, the U.S. government did not heed the suggestions of the Church of the Brethren and continued to conduct military operations in and around Afghanistan. After invading Afghanistan, the U.S. and our allies toppled the Taliban government and installed other authorities sympathetic to our goals of defeating the Taliban militarily and rebuilding Afghanistan to be a more democratic nation. The Taliban, of course, did not take kindly to these decisions. They reorganized and began to fight back against the new Afghan government and invading U.S. forces in 2003. The result of all of this, as is the case in war, was incredible amounts of death and destruction. The Costs of War Project at Brown University estimates that 243,000 people died as a direct result of the Afghanistan war, not including others who died due to disease, food insecurity, or other indirect causes. One violent tactic that contributed to these deaths and that the Office of Peacebuilding and Policy advocates strongly against is the use of drone strikes. Drone strikes increased as a military tactic throughout the Afghanistan war because of their ability to inflict damage and take enemy lives without risking the lives of American troops. One large problem with them, however, is that they often go awry and end up killing civilians in addition to or instead of enemy combatants. There are countless stories of drone strikes in Afghanistan killing innocent civilians, including 
right up until the moment U.S. forces withdrew from the region. On August 29th of 2021, Pentagon admitted that a drone had mistakenly killed 10 civilians, including an aid worker and seven children. Deadly mistakes like this happen fairly routinely, but are not always owned up to by military leaders, which does not allow for accountability or rep reparations. The level of separation between drone strike operators and targets on the other side of the globe also desensitizes us to this violence. Let's pause again here to see what the Church of the Brethren has said about these things. In 2011, the Church of the Brethren released an annual conference statement reflecting on 10 years of war in Afghanistan. In it, we again echo the calls of the National Council of Churches and others for, quote, the President of the United States to withdraw U.S. and NATO forces from Afghanistan as soon as possible, without further endangerment to the lives and welfare of U.S. and NATO troops, Afghan troops, and Afghan civilians. So at this point, we are even more forcefully saying that it's time to put an end to the violence and get out of there, because to use a cliche, violence is not the answer and will not bring about a just peace. Similarly, in 2013, the Church of the Brethren explicitly addressed the use of drone strikes as incompatible with the way of Jesus, who chose to die rather than kill to further his kingdom. As I mentioned before, the Church of the Brethren condemns the use of drone strikes as a weapon of war in general, and because of their tendency to kill civilians and potentially prolong conflicts. To provide a foreign policy expert opinion on drone strikes, author Michael Hirsch wrote in a 2021 article that some military experts believe drone strikes may actually contribute to the growth of terrorism because they have the potential to anger local populations and destabilize regions of the globe. This gives even more credibility to the Brethren position that drone strikes are both a moral and strategic failure and should be abolished. Of course, as we know, the U.S. continued to use these troublesome tactics for another 10 years under the leadership of multiple presidential administrations and continue to do so today in other regions of the world. This occurred despite the killing of Osama bin Laden in 2011 by U.S. Special Forces, which would have been as good a time as any to withdraw. At this point, I'll skip ahead to the end of the war, since we already know the end result of the continued fighting to be unnecessary death and destruction, and I, I promise I'm leading up to something beyond a history lesson. But it's important to at least point out that as U.S. troops occupied Afghanistan for all these years, we failed to make sustainable investments in their institutions, economy, and people, like we said we intended to at the outset. On the other hand, what did happen was the perpetuation of a government that did not have sufficient support among the population and the artificial propping up of the economy with billions of dollars in humanitarian aid. I'd also be remiss if I didn't address the claim that we had to go to war in order to protect human rights, like the right of young boys and girls to go to school in Afghanistan. 
obviously an admirable goal and a good intention. Unfortunately, however, attempting to ensure this came at the expense of other human rights to life, safety, security, and stability in large parts of the region. And in the end, the U.S. finally took the advice of many brethren and anti-war activists who had said all along that violence cannot be the foundation for establishing human rights, justice, and peace. So in August of 2021, the U.S. finally withdrew troops from Afghanistan, leaving a chaotic and broken country in its wake. This is especially the case because of U.S. policy that our government initiated once we left. Since the Taliban were retaking control of the government, and the Taliban is designated as a terrorist organization, our government took two extreme economic steps. First was the continuation of sanctions on Afghanistan that make it difficult for anyone to conduct trade or financial transactions in the country. Now, at first glance, this may sound like a great idea, since it makes sense for extremist groups to be prevented from joining the global economy. However, one real-life impact of these sanctions is a squeezing of the Afghan economy and even the discouragement of humanitarian efforts in the region. I recently had the opportunity to be on a Zoom meeting with a member of Islamic Relief USA, who had just returned from a trip to Afghanistan. And he explained that a lot of, Af uh, a lot of humanitarian relief organizations left the country due to these sanctions because they did not want to accidentally associate themselves with the Taliban and incur fines or penalties. In short, the sanctions make the work of essential relief organizations harder and more dangerous. The second action that the Biden administration took was the freezing of former Afghan government assets. This was $9 billion worth of money that was funding Afghanistan's central bank. Now again, Depriving the corrupt Taliban of resources might seem like the right move at face value. But the reality is that this money is also routinely accessed by normal, everyday, innocent Afghans who get a paycheck or withdraw money from a bank or ATM to pay for food and basic necessities. But now that money is frozen and the Afghan people are really struggling. 95% of Afghans do not have enough food to eat. This is according to the World Food Program. 23 million, over half the population, are said to be severely food insecure. The UN has warned that over 1 million children could die over the course of just the next few months due to famine and a continued cold winter. 1 million. If you're doing the horrific math, that means more people could die as a result of this crisis and died over 20 years of war and conflict. This is one of the main reasons why faith-based advocacy groups like ours are united in calling for the U.S. government to make this right. To be clear, the U.S. cannot solve all of Afghanistan's problems. But in this case, we believe that our current leadership has some tough moral decisions to make. Just a few weeks ago, our office helped to draft a letter addressed to President Biden, asking him to remove sanctions on Afghanistan and to release their frozen funds back into the economy. In that letter, we explained why we feel this is necessary, despite risks that it could also benefit the Taliban. In the end, 
It is the Afghan citizens who are suffering and who need humanitarian relief and a stable economy in order to survive and thrive. To the extent that US policy can allow for that, we believe that it must. If sanctions are used, they must be carefully targeted so they don't impact civilians. And the US government should give back the money they extracted from Afghanistan because the economy and the people there are in dire need. In addition to advocating for those policy changes, some Church of the Brethren congregations have been working with Church World Service and other refugee resettlement organizations to resettle Afghans who were evacuated following the US military withdrawal for fear of retaliation against them by the Taliban. To explain what that process is like and how you can support those efforts, I've invited my parents, Don and Carolyn, to join me on the podcast and I will bring them into the conversation now. Hey there, uh, thank you both for joining me to talk about your experience with welcoming Af Afghan refugees to your community. First, I'd, I'd like to ask, can you please explain how you found out about the refugee uh, resettlement program and how your congregation, Lancaster Church of the Brethren, got involved in the first place? Since joining the pastoral staff at the Lancaster Church of the Brethren a few years ago, uh, I've learned that it's a congregation that has a long history of resettling refugees extending back to post-World War II era, uh, but it had been a little while, what was it? 13 years. 13 years since uh, they had last done it, and uh, with a little nudge from an older member of the congregation who had a passion for, for refugees, he, he contributed uh, a large sum of money to establish an endowment to help encourage the congregation to, to uh, get back into the refugee resettlement business. And uh, that gave us the nudge we needed. And uh, a group of us uh, checked in with Church World Service last fall in the fall of 2021 and learned about what was involved and uh, put together a, a welcome team with Church World Service and uh, began doing our training. That would have been uh, in December or something like that. We did our training and uh, put together a team of 11 people. 11 of us, and uh, then, we, then we waited. And by then it was becoming evident that there was a pretty likelihood that the families that we would be working with be from Afghanistan because of what was happening in the news. And uh, on January 4th, I think it was, we got a call that said a family of five would be coming two days later, and were we ready? And we said we were not, but we uh, took a man. Awesome, uh, that's great. Great, helpful backstory, and hopefully we'll give uh, listeners some ideas for, for doing the same um, if more help is needed now or in the future. As a second question, could you, could you tell us all a bit more about the process after you were assigned to a family and once they are arrived into, into the community? Church will service as an excellent uh, program that's very organized, and there's um, kind of it helps to kind of understand that once a, a group is formed, you have a point person and then the areas of housing, transportation, health, cultural adjustment, schooling, jobs and finance are kind of assigned um, uh, as team members feel, you know, what their areas of expertise might be. Um, and then when the family 
arrived. Uh, we all pitched in uh, in those different areas to help the family adjust. One of the one of the first responsibilities was was finding housing, and uh, families the family initially stayed in an Airbnb while Church World Service searched for housing. But the housing market is very tight in Lancaster, and they had many families to find housing for. So we had a team member uh, who had some expertise and a member of our church who uh, worked for a, a property management uh, company and uh, through that helped us find a home for the first family of five. And then in the midst of that, we became aware of uh, uh, two relatives, two young men who were coming and also would need a need sponsorship. And our welcome team agreed to also uh, provide for their needs. So just, uh, just a couple of days here at the end of February, we finally got them settled into an apartment as well. So now we have two families that we're working with and uh, driving them to a lot of appointments, taking them shopping, uh, taking them to medical exams. English uh, classes. And beginning the job search now. A couple have uh, have lined up jobs and it's just been a very kind of a fun learning process as we've gotten into the family and, and how things work. Yeah, uh, on that point, I'd, I'd like to ask one more question about what, what have you learned throughout through this experience, um, both uh, about refugee resettlement and about your, your new neighbors and friends from Afghanistan. I've enjoyed uh, just learning about a new culture and uh, never really thought about uh, getting to know someone from Afghanistan before and from a very different culture. And it's just been wonderful um, sharing food and sharing um just experiences. I've been working with the uh, six-year-old daughter and learning English, and uh, it's just been a lot of fun on a on a personal level um, to get to know them. Um, but also kind of heartbreaking uh, to know that there's family members that are still uh, waiting to get to the United States. Yeah, I think uh, the uh, the two younger gentlemen that we're working with. Uh, it's an uncle and a nephew, but they're very close together in age and they're in their early to mid twenties, uh, speak with parents and grandparents in, in other countries just about every day. And they're, and one of their main goals is to get a job that pays well enough that they can help support their extended family that, uh, has not yet made it to the U S. So it's been, uh, been kind of heartbreaking. We did have opportunity to contract, to contact our Congress, uh, people, two senators, uh, for help, the one family member did make it to the U.S., but was going to be sent by himself to Texas to be resettled there while he had uh, an uncle and three aunts living in Lancaster and their families. So through uh, through intervention with with uh, Casey's office, Senator Casey's office, uh, we were able to get him to come here and be with his family. Um, so we've learned learned a little bit about the pain, but I think we've learned learned that people are people and. Uh, and we've uh, we've been enjoying doing things for them, but they also uh, it's hard to be on the receiving end, and they're always looking for opportunities to do things for us. So we never make it out of the house without drinking a cup of milk tea, and uh, and it seems like we hit a meal a meal time pretty often when we're there, even if it isn't meal time. And so <laughs> enjoying that. Great. Well, uh, thank you both for your work in, in refugee resettlement and for joining me to help us all understand more uh, about the process and, and program. If you, as a conscientious dunker punk, 
would like to support these efforts without directly engaging in the resettlement, there's a few things you can do. For starters, if you're financially able, you could donate to Church World Service, one of the organizations facilitating refugee resettlement. Alternatively, I would encourage you to get involved in advocacy work on behalf of your new Afghan neighbors. Many of them have been allowed into the U.S. on what is known as humanitarian parole status. This is a temporary immigration status that doesn't grant them many of the protections and benefits of permanent citizenship. So, in addition to their material needs, our new Afghan friends will need Congress to pass legislation, such as the proposed Afghan Adjustment Act, which would establish for them a path to citizenship after one year of arrival. Each of you has the power to influence this legislation simply by contacting your representatives in Congress. To find out how to do that quite easily, you can visit the Church World Service website or check out the Office of Peacebuilding website and Facebook page. I will be regularly sharing resources to those sites on this topic and a variety of other issues. As I conclude here, I just wanted to thank you all for listening to my historical report and brethren-centric political analysis of the situation in Afghanistan over the last 20 years, including the present day. If you made it to the end, I commend you for doing so, and again, encourage you to get involved and raise up peace-building perspectives on these issues. As our busy daily lives and other global events continue to draw our attention, I think it's important not to lose sight of the humanitarian crisis unfolding in Afghanistan and the important ways that we are able to influence change for the better. Powerful stuff. Thank you, Galen, for sharing about your work and the service your home congregation is doing for refugees. Your talk and this conversation brings to mind lots of scripture, but for me today, I hear Jesus's commandment in John 15, love each other as I have loved you. There's so much to impact there since Jesus loved us enough to sacrifice himself on our behalf. How do we love like that in the day to day? Sometimes we get annoyed at being mildly inconvenienced for our best of friends, much less sacrificing our livelihoods or even ourselves for someone we've never met before. I think at least a broader theme that scriptures like John 15, the work Galen detailed for us earlier, and global conflict like the war in Ukraine right now always bring up for us to recognize and live by is that human life is more important more important than national identity, than being convenient or within the parameters of your comfort zone. This is part of following Jesus. This is a part of being Anabaptist Christian, a part of being brethren. One of the Brethren Institution's founding persons, Alexander Mack, wrote as much in a hymn we still use today, and I'll leave you to ponder on its lyrics meanings today, especially as it relates to this Lenten season we're in, as I read them in closing. Count well the cost, Christ Jesus says, when you lay the foundation. Are you resolved, though all seems lost, to risk your reputation, yourself, your wealth, 
for Christ the Lord as you now give your solemn word. Into Christ's death be buried now through baptism's joyous union. No claim of self dare you allow if you desire communion with Christ's true church, his willing bride, which through his word he has supplied. Within the church's warm embrace, the child of God is molded. God's spirit lights the infant face and in God's grace is folded. With childlike steps, Christ's plan we trace till we grow up in godly grace. In Christian growth, we are matured of fruitful vines, a token that this good growth may be assured oft times to us is broken the bread of fellowship replete when Christ's redeemed together meet. Thank you for listening to the season opener. The Dunker Punks podcast is a congregation of peace builders from across the country trying to create a more just world. My name is Jacob Krause, pronouns he, him, and I hosted, edited, and provided music. Galen Fitzke recorded today's audio. Suzanne Lay manages production. Arlington COB and On Earth Peace sponsor the show. You can find us online with archives on iTunes and Arlington COB dot org slash dpp we're on social media at dunkerpunks pod and you can email us with comments or ideas at dpp at arlingtoncob.org please also email us about becoming a congregational sponsor if your church is interested in that we're looking for 20 congregations to come together to amplify young voices of faith and give them opportunities to create and lead through this podcast we're also uh, recruiting a new communications intern. So if you or someone you know would like to uh, work with a non-hierarchical project team of Dunkerpunks living across the country to help recruit new voices, get to know young people who speak up on the show, and help make connections with their message, we'd love to have you. So email us, dpp at arlingtoncob.org for more details. That's it for this week's episode. Annalisa Gross returns in two weeks, so stay tuned for that. Peace, Dunker Punks.